And welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet. We are your connoisseurs of the strange, navigating the treacherous waters of the unknown, diving deep into the Mariana Trench of weird information, then surfacing up to the swirling vortex of the Bermuda Triangle to bring you guys the most bizarre encounters imaginable, then dissecting them with the skills of a pathologist to theorize what exactly is going on in this bizarre reality we all reside in. I am the one, the only, Shane Squatch. I'm Oren. And I'm Jenny. Oh, you guys are keeping, me, keeping it basic on me today. I see how it is. <laughs> got to switch it up on you, man. You guys keep hitting me with the basics. I'm trying to be all theatrical. <laughs> so uh, I guess what's, what's new with you guys before we get into the show? Anything new and exciting going on for you guys? Not much over here. It's been uh, pretty quiet, but um, I hear that you've got some exciting updates to share with the listeners about Squonkabalooza coming up. So everybody knows, because I've been talking about it on the show frequently, that we will be vending at Squonkapalooza, but I've been building up what exactly we're going to be vending at Squonkapalooza. So if anybody's able to make it out, I'll give you guys kind of an idea of what we're going to have, and then I'll get into all the info about actually the event itself. Uh, but so far right now, what I've been working on is we have some really, really cool 3D prints uh, done by... I don't know exactly what he's calling his company currently, but his name is Jeff, and he does 3D prints, and he's building up his company. So he's been working on some uh, really cool little Bigfoot 3D prints for us. Uh, there's some Squonk stuff. There's stuff that just pertains to our shows with our logos and stuff on it. Um, and then also another awesome shout-out. Um, I had Chris from Conspire Theory Podcast. Awesome podcast if anybody hasn't gone and checked it out. Uh, he worked on a really cool original Squonk image for us. So we have our own squonk image instead of you know everybody always trying to take the handful that people have already created so i will be making some prints of that it's good it's really cool i think you guys will really enjoy it it's like a cartoony style where it's you know pretty it's like realistic but cartoony at the same time um i'm sure i'll end up posting it on the pages and stuff if you guys want to see it and then of course you know i'm going to be vending for this show and for uh, inquiries of our reality so more than likely the shirts that I will have instead of doing just the basic logo shirts. I'm going to have some of the Stay Bizarre shirts. So that'd be really cool because uh, those will be printed on a little bit different of a t-shirt than what you'd be able to get them on in the online store. Um, just because I want to do something a little bit more special for the event. So that's one thing you guys are going to see there along with the, uh, you know, 
anime squat shirt that I worked on, but you know, that's, that's, that's for inquiries, but we're not going to talk about on this show, I guess too much. And then also I will have hopefully some, uh, like coasters or something cool that I'm going to print out with, uh, with our squonk image and everything on it. Um, I'm also going to be doing some giveaways of some squonks and stuff for some kids. Um, I also had this exclusive clay figure made of a squonk holding an open minds media sign. That will be our giveaway item at the show. So if anybody wants to come and check that out, there will be some free giveaway stuff also. And then if anybody's into trying to support a young little girl trying to make a little bit of money and I'm trying to teach her responsibility, uh, Tober, whoever I talk about frequently on the show, if anybody doesn't know, that's my daughter. She's about eight years old. She's turning uh, eight, August 30th. Uh, She's doing some of her own cryptid pictures and my studio is covered in them. She does a really, really good job. She takes a lot of time on drawing them. So she's going to be trying to sell some of her uh, cryptid pictures at the event and just kind of imagine it like uh, like the lemonade stand thing. Like I'm trying to teach her responsibility. I'm trying to teach her about like overhead and how much it costs to make something versus selling everything. So not only can you guys support this show, you guys can also, if you guys are interested, of course, supporting a little girl and uh, helping her kind of push down her art career because that is her interest and she wants to keep expanding on it. So there's gonna be a lot of really, really cool stuff at the table. Hopefully I see you guys there. And uh, if you guys don't know anything about the show, even though I've been talking about it forever, uh, it's going to be happening August 26th from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., rain or shine, and it is going to be a cryptid carnival for all ages. There's going to be vendors, artists, crafts, games, speakers, movies, activities, live music, food trucks, cosplay, and that's going to be happening in Central Park, downtown Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Admission's free, so all you guys got to do is coordinate coming out there, and once you're there, just have fun, man. And if any of you guys want to find some more info on the event, of course, there is a link down in the show description. So you guys can click that and go check it out on the website. And of course, you guys can always follow the uh, Squonkapalooza page on Facebook and Instagram if you guys want to get some more info on it. And we can vouch for Tober's artwork. Her little Mothman drawings are adorable. So you guys will definitely enjoy that. And I'm sure you will want to scoop them up. Uh, and on that note, you guys know the drill. Do the internet things. Reach out to us through social media, Instagram, uh, either through the email address, bizarreencounters.outlook.com. There is a submission form on the link tree. Lots of ways for you guys to reach out and get in contact uh, with us for possible guests, topics, any artists that want to share anything. And you guys also remember uh, Shane is working on his book with uh, – our listeners bizarre encounters. So reach out with any story you uh, might want included in the book. We're trying to do something as far as having the listeners talk about uh, their encounters a little bit, and then kind of some theories and thoughts behind each of those encounters. So remember to reach out to Shane with that information as well. And of course, too, if you guys don't want your name shared, anything like that, I can always change names, all that. Or if you want your name included in it, I'm more than happy to do that, too. Just let me know how you guys want me to go about it. And you guys don't even necessarily have to type it out. You guys can just record audio on your phone. Every single phone has a built-in recording device. And then you guys can just send me that file, and I can turn it into text for the book. So whatever's easier for you guys, don't hesitate. Please send me those bizarre encounters, because I would love to include you guys in the book. And uh, of course, while you guys are doing that, if you're not already following us on social media, highly recommend that you do so. We're across all social media. That includes, of course, Facebook, Instagram, which is the one that we're the most active on, uh, Telegram and Discord. And we also are on YouTube and TikTok. And as far as that goes, it's not under Bizarre Encounters. It's under Open Minds Media. And I try to just include everything from both shows into that. But what you'll find there is clips of points of interest for the show um, with a with a question that's kind of pressed with it. 
And, you know, if you guys are into sharing the show, but you don't know if somebody's going to sit down and listen to a full hour, two hour episode, uh, the least you guys can do at least, you know, send them a couple minute clip of a certain point of the episode. And maybe that'll spark their interest into coming in and listening to the full episode because word of mouth is one of the best ways to help this show grow. And I try to make it even easier for you guys where you guys can just share little specific clips with your friends, just quick and easy, just pass it over. And then you never know what kind of weird shit you might get to talk about with your friends now. And, uh, if you guys are interested in supporting the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. Uh, number one, of course, you guys can join the Patreon. There you'll get early access to episodes of the show. You'll get live episodes of the show. You'll get live replays, which is the video format of the episodes. And you'll also get exclusive merch store discounts. And uh, with those merch store, dis- merch store discounts, of course, you can get one of our new designs, the Stay Bizarre design that I recently worked on that's really, really cool. And if you guys are following on social media, of course, you guys have probably already seen it. But if you haven't, Definitely go check it out and uh, see if you like it or not. And then that brings it to the other point, of course. Go and check out the Open Minds Media merch store. Uh, There you'll find that new design, like I mentioned. You'll also find our logo designs. Uh, I also worked on some new things on there because now they added windbreakers. And I'm a big fan of like rain slickers and windbreakers. So I made a pretty cool looking uh, Bizarre Encounters logo on the back, windbreaker. But there's a lot of really cool stuff over there. And if you guys pick up any of our merch, please send us a picture of you guys wearing it because we'd love to be able to repost it on the page and show that there's love and support out in the world out there. And then the third way you guys can support us is through donating on Red Circle, which is our RSS host. Uh, all of that will go towards our programs we use, being able to be at more conventions because we want to be able to keep doing that and keep getting to interact with you guys face to face. So it's not just money going in our pockets. It's all stuff that's intended to help the show grow and make it so we can meet more of you guys. So if you guys are doing that, at least you can say you're helping a podcast expand. And if you guys can't support the show in any of those ways, like I've said a few times, word of mouth is great for the show interacting with the show, um, you know, just sending us messages saying that you like the show. There's a hundred different ways to support a podcast and all these creators that are doing all this kind of stuff, you know, we're, we're pretty much doing it for free. We're entertaining all you guys. We just do it because we love it. So at, at the least, you know, if you guys don't mind sending us a message saying you love it, that kind of stuff pushes us to keep going. It's great. And not even just for this podcast, any podcast in general, if there's any podcast that you love, support them in any way, shape or form that you can, because that's that's what's going to keep people going because half the time you know we see the numbers but we don't necessarily see all the interactions so anything just even a slight message saying that we love the show goes a long way as far as podcasters and stuff go so don't forget to do that kind of stuff and also speaking of merch um go check out joe at crypto theology crypto theology specializes in wearing 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 wearable cryptids well and wearable cryptids. We're going to wear it, wearable <laughs> cryptids. So, so anyway, go check his stuff out. It's really cool. And as always, everything we've mentioned is listed in the link tree in the show notes. So tonight's guest is Betsy Kulikowski. She's a paranormal researcher and author of the paranormal slash thriller series, The Veritas Codex. And she was previously a guest of Shane's on episode 102 of Inquiries of Our Reality. And we're super excited to have her on our show tonight. So, Betsy, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So it's been a hot minute since we talked, so we got a lot more to catch up on. Because I know you said you're already working on like the next 12 books at the time. So I'm sure you have even more released by now. So, (laughs) yep, I guess the 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 sixth book just came out in May. It's the first podcast I've had to get on and talk about it. So I'm really excited about that. I'm currently working on book seven, and in the middle of all that, I just finished a non-paranormal book that I've been working on for a couple of months, and I'm getting ready to start uh, a piece for an anthology that's due in 
uh, 20 days. <laughs> <laughs> Got a lot of stuff on your plate then. <laughs> yeah, I do. Just stay busy. So uh, I guess for the listeners that might not be familiar with your work before we get into all your interesting paranormal investigation stuff, uh, why don't you let them know a little bit about your book series uh, and where you're leading with it. All right. So the Veritas Codex series follows the investigations of Dr. Lauren Grayson. She's a biological anthropologist who has a television show on a cable network. Uh, and they go out in the search for the answers to the world's greatest mysteries and legends. Uh, the first book starts off with the hunt for Bigfoot. Uh, and in the middle of the investigation, Lauren disappears and she's gone for 10 days. And when she comes back, she has no memory of what's happened to her. But all the evidence suggests that she was abducted by Bigfoot. So was it aliens? Was it Bigfoot? Oh, pity she can't remember. Um, so that's where the book series starts. And then they go on to other investigations, all different episodes of their television show. Uh, the second book, they go uh, looking, it's, they're exploring the, the Mayan apocalypse of 2012, which is about the time frame we kind of start out in. Uh, the third book is The Alien Accord. That was pretty obvious what they're looking at there. Uh, the fourth one is The Monk's Grimoire, and they're looking for missing pages of the Devil's Codex. And if they don't find them before the devil does, there will be hell to pay. Ooh, so that one, there. <laughs> you see what I did there? Uh, the fifth book is The Lost Templar, and they're looking for answers to some of the Templar legends and mysteries. Uh, that one's set in my home state of Oklahoma for the most part. A little bit of time travel, a little bit of history, which I'm a big history buff. Uh, the sixth book that just came out in May is The Pirate's Curse. And... Uh, they get called out to help find a missing member of the network's, uh, one of their executives that his ship has disappeared in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. And so when they go looking for this lost ship, uh, they too are lost and have to find their way out of the Bermuda Triangle, which I had always wanted to write something about the Bermuda Triangle. My husband and I went there on our honeymoon because I figured that was the one place that we'd probably never get to go again after we got married and had kids. <laughs> so um, I think we're to a point now with our kids being out of the house, we might actually have a chance of going back, but it was one of those places. It was just so beautiful and I really wanted to go. So that was a really fun episode to write because there's pirates, there's mermaids, there's all kinds of great mysteries in that book. Just don't fly and over I'm, it. <laughs> right, right. Because, yeah, that's never good for anybody. <laughs> and then book seven that I'm working on now, um, that one gets a little darker. And there are some uh, mysteries that we have to solve that I'm still trying to work out. I've already written it, but now I'm going through and kind of seeing where do I want to go in and tweak it? What do I want to change? Uh, how can I make the elements stronger? So I'm working on that one right now. So uh, when you're writing your books, where do you kind of like pull your information from? Do you uh, come up with it completely like fiction wise or do you pull from like real world things? Like how do you how do you go about writing your books and collecting the information for it? I am a data junkie. I love surf. I love doing research. I, I'm also a safety professional by trade. I have a degree in emergency management. So I do a lot of research on standards and uh, best practices and industry standards around the world. So I love doing research. Um, I love to watch anything that is, you know, travel channel, history channel, discovery channel, sci-fi channel. Uh, I don't watch a lot of TV these days cause I'm writing so much, but I've seen all those shows and I kind of have certain mysteries that just really suck me in. Um, the Stanley hotel Ooh. is one of those mysteries. I want, I have sat in the parking lot of the Stanley hotel, no less than three times and could not go in. So there will be a book about the Stanley Hotel, and I will go in somehow, some way, I will. 
What was your reasoning for not going in? Was it just like a, like an uncomfortable vibe in the parking lot or what was it? There's just something about that building that just does not appeal to me. It, it, it terrifies me. And I just, I can't bring myself to go in and it's supposed to be beautiful. And I, you know, the history is so rich there that it's really hard for me to not go in. But for some reason, I just, I haven't been able to walk in the doors and I've stayed at dozens of haunted hotels across the country and could not, and, and I don't know why that one bothers me. I think there's really something dark there. So I guess for all the listeners that might not be familiar with the Stanley Hotel, because I don't think we've actually ever talked about it on this show, uh, do you want to fill people in a little bit about the backstory of the Stanley Motel and exactly what it is? Yeah, so the Stanley Hotel is in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. It's a grand, stately, you know, property. It looks like something from the, um, you know, the film Dirty Dancing, the place that they go, that resort that they go to. It kind of looks like that. When I saw that movie, I was like, that was like the Stanley. Um, so it's kind of that kind of you know, architecture. Um, It was built by the Stanley, the guy that runs the Stanley steamer company. Uh, He was an inventor, um, businessman. uh, And at one time it was really kind of intended to be like a respite. So he could go and it was a healthier environment than the city. Uh, You know, the air is a little thinner, but it's a whole lot cleaner. And so the family moved out there and there've been all kinds of things that have happened in the hotel. It was one of the first hotels that had, um, gas lights that ran through the building. And not very long after those were installed, uh, one of the maids went to uh, light the, the the lanterns one night and it blew up Ooh. and it caused a fire and she was killed. And I, I don't remember how many people were killed, but it was one of those that that's kind of where some of the mystery started. There's been some other really weird things that have happened where I kind of found that um, the interest for me came in when uh they said that uh, Stephen King had actually gotten inspiration for The Shining in that hotel. And I'm, I'm not a horror girl. I, I'm, I try to be, but I'm, I'm just, I'm a big chicken. <laughs> so, so when you start talking about, you know, crazy, you know, ax murderers running through a building, I'm out. I'm out. No, I'm out. The ghost um, part's interesting, though, because I, I always get drawn to that stuff. Very interesting. Yeah, I could do that. But these serial killers and axe murderers, I'm, I'm not a fan. So uh, it's well, just one of those. The book, there's just a lot of history there. But, but in the book, Jack doesn't use an axe. Exactly. In the movie. So exactly. Technically, the book version is not an axe murder. Dramatic right. effect. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's just one of those places that just has such a vibe that it's just, it's just not high on my list of places I want to go, but it's so fascinating. The history sucks me in. So it's that push and pull. I think there's even a story where Stephen King stayed at that hotel and he was supposed to be the only one there besides the person that was like maintaining the hotel. And he said something like, who else is here? There's people moving around. I hear people and I've seen a few people and the guy's like, there's nobody else here. It's just you and I, he's like, that's just the Stanley motel. And supposedly like, that's what inspired him to write the book was that the ghost activity was so high there that he was saying that he was seeing like full apparitions, not like ghosts, but like he literally thought there were actual people standing there and making noise and moving around the hotel. Right, for sure. And and there have been a number of celebrities that have gone and stayed there that did not make it through the night. Jim Carrey being one of them. Jim Carrey? That's kind of surprising. I feel like that guy just doesn't care. Like He would just be like, hey, ghost, what's up, man? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd find a way to laugh at him, but apparently he didn't like it. I mean, he's uh, his, his views have gone a little bit differently lately. I feel like he's a little bit more spiritual than he used to be, so he probably doesn't want to mess with that stuff because he has like respect for it now. <laughs> right, for sure. 
But no, Shane, I was just going to say kind of another synchronicity since we've been talking about that a lot lately. Um, you know, we just had Alan Greenfield, uh, who appeared in Hellier, on the show a couple weeks ago for all of our listeners out there. Um, two of the fellows from Hellier were the like resident paranormal investigators at the Stanley Hotel, and that's where they developed the Estes method that they use in the mm-hmm. show. So kind of bringing it full circle. Talking about the new Kirks? Uh, no, it's uh, Connor and uh, Connor Randall and um, the guy who's the director. I'm blanking on his name. Oh, um, Carl Pfeiffer. That's his name. Gotcha. And I think I said it was in Fort Collins, but you're right. It's Estes Park. They're right next to each other. We always go through one to get to the other. So, well, I didn't know exactly where it was, but no, yeah. it's kind of funny you mentioned that since we like kind of just had somebody from that program on the show a couple weeks. Yeah, that's ago. cool. Um, yeah. So, um, of course, with your books, too, you said that it's not just uh, based around somewhat of the paranormal and stuff, which is always fascinating, of course. But you also Mm -hmm. said that there's like Bigfoot and alien encounters. So what kind of sparked your interest? Uh, I guess we'll hit them one by one. But with uh, with like Bigfoot and cryptids, for example, that what that you want to include them in the book, especially the first book. Oh, yeah. Bigfoot. Uh, Growing up, I lived in for a very brief time when I was very little. I mean, two, three years old. We lived in the Pacific Northwest. So Bigfoot was the first monster I ever heard about. So I've always considered him, you know, like in Monsters, Inc. he's my monster. Uh, I've always been fascinated with Bigfoot, anything to do with it. Um, I remember watching the old episodes of the $6 million man that had the Bigfoot on it. And Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah, all of that. So I've always been really interested in Bigfoot. And I think our world is so big that there has to be room for more creatures that we don't know about. We're finding things in the oceans all the time. We're finding things in the jungle all the time. So I think that there's a really, real big possibility that Bigfoot is actually out there. It's probably endangered. It's probably a very small population. Uh, It's probably all over the world. I think there's probably pockets, you know, an area over here, an area over here. They're just kind of scattered because there are legends about Bigfoot from all over the world on almost every continent except one. So I'm really interested in that. So that's kind of where that started. Just because I'm brain farting on it right now, what's the continent that doesn't have reference? Antarctica. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would make the most sense, I guess. (laughs) This is just obvious right in front of me. And I just, woo. (laughs) Yeah. Unless they're living under the ice. (laughs) Well, it could be be like the abominable snowman and be a really like white Yeti that we just haven't seen because it's so snowy. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, or the Nazis uh, took them there in their uh, submarines. <laughs> they got them hiding in the base. They're like their dogs. <laughs> they keep them warm at night. They give them nice cuddles. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, also considering that you said you're from Oklahoma, um, mm-hmm. do you have any really interesting, uh, like local Bigfoot tales that um, maybe you heard oh, yeah. some people talking about when you were growing up or anything? Right. So southeastern Oklahoma is heavily forested, mountainous area. People don't think of Oklahoma being mountainous. Uh, they think of us being flat. Well, there are parts of Oklahoma that are very flat, typically in the far western part of the state. But southeastern Oklahoma has swamps. It has mountains. It has uh, quite a bit of cave structures, which caves play very heavily in my books. So um, the caves are are pretty, pretty intense down there. We have the robber's cave. We have a lot of bandits that have hidden out down there. So there's been a lot of stories about Bigfoot, and we have an annual Bigfoot festival in Honubby, uh, down in southeastern Oklahoma every year. And I've made friends with some folks that live down in Honubby, um, and they can tell some tales. And I actually went down for a event not too long ago, and I drove down to Honubby, and I wanted to get out and take pictures. 
And so my husband and I got out of the car and there's no, I mean, it's a two lane highway and it's the Bigfoot highway. So there's a sign there and I wanted my picture under the Bigfoot highway. Of course. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. So we get out of the car, there's no traffic and you know, just walk across the road, get under the sign, take your picture, you know, and as I'm getting out of the car, I'm looking around and it smells horrible, like a rendering plant. And I'm a safety professional. I've been in every stinky, you know, dirty jobs you can go to. And I know what a rendering plant smells like because I've been to them. And that's what it smelled like to me. And my husband's like, yeah, that doesn't smell very nice. What is that? I'm like, there's got to be a rendering plant around here. So we got our picture, got in the car, drove all the way back to Oklahoma City, which is about two and a half hour drive, maybe three. Um, And I messaged my friend that lived there. And I said, do you guys have a rendering plant down there? He's like, no. I'm like, paper mill? He's like, no. He's like, what, why are you asking me this, Betsy? And so I told him what had happened. He's like, oh, you smelled the booger. <laughs> so I'm assuming that there's probably a lot of legends of the booger. What's like the, the general, like popular legend of the booger down there or over there? <laughs> uh, you know, that's kind of the same area as the whole foggy bottom Bigfoot story. There, there have been a number of tales. Uh, there's not any one specific event. It's just there are multiple sightings, multiple you know, howls in the woods. We sat out one night by a campfire when we went down there to stay once and we could hear just this, it was a distant howl. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe that's an owl. Maybe that's coyotes. You know, I'm going through my list of wild animals. Is it elk? Is it deer? You know, what might that be? And I I just really couldn't pinpoint it. So I put it up on TikTok and asked, you know, what do you guys think this is? And I wanted to see what the paranormal community and the Bigfoot community thought about it. And some people are like, oh, it's just a barn owl. But other people are like, well, you know, Bigfoot likes to imitate other animals. Mm-hmm. And then somebody's like, yeah, you got something there. And some of the big some of the big paranormal investigators that I've put that up in front of have gone, interesting. That's kind of what we're hearing. So it's one of those things that people don't want to believe in stuff like that. But like realistically, mm-hmm. if you're an intelligent being and you're living out in the woods, you're going to get bored sometimes. So what are you going to do for entertainment? The same stuff that people do. We mimic sounds. Right. You see kids mimic sounds all the time just because it's fun. You know, they make cat noises, dog noises. So it's like if you're a Sasquatch living out in the woods, I mean, you got to entertain yourself somehow. And if you're making right. these noises, you know, there's people nearby. You could just be doing it for fun just to see if they'll pick up that it's you or not. So you feel like you're like yeah. yelling at them without them knowing it's you. Like... It, it's right. So, so we hear the commercials all the time about messing with Sasquatch. What about Sasquatch <laughs> messing with us? Right. <laughs> I mean, it can happen. He's trying to troll us out in the woods. That's when he starts making like those car door noises and all those things. He starts yeah. getting extra tricky. He starts doing weird stuff that shouldn't even be out there. Exactly. <laughs> One day you're, there's going to be an experience where they're doing like an ambulance noise in the middle of the woods. And they'll be like, bro, we're like five miles out. How the hell are you hearing that right now? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So uh, I guess moving on to the next part, as far as uh, aliens and stuff go, I'm sure that Oklahoma has a lot of sightings with like UFOs, things like that. Uh, what kind of sparked that where you wanted to include that in your book? And if you have any also local legends of maybe different sightings of different things that you've seen over there? Yeah, you know, Oklahoma is known for its beautiful skies. We have big, wide open skies, kind of like Montana. Montana's famous for their skies. Well, Oklahoma is too. And while eastern Oklahoma has some mountain areas, the western part of the state has an actually has an ancient dormant volcano and it's flat all around it. So it's big, wide open. Um, we actually have an old military base that has been turned into an emergency landing site for the space shuttle. Ooh. So it is the Oklahoma spaceport 
and Oklahoma has produced more astronauts than any other state. So we have a lot of astronauts who have seen things they can't explain. So we get to hear some of those stories and some of those legends, and sometimes they happen around here. So there have been some some reported sightings. I haven't personally seen anything other than uh, you know shooting stars, and I one I was able to debunk is the space as the International Space Station. So you know we do have pretty pretty nice viewing if you can get out of the city and away from the lights. Gotta love that light pollution. It kills off the sky. And I think it's one of those things that everybody gets so wrapped into their life because they never really get a chance to look up at the sky and like realize how small you are in comparison to the universe. And I feel like that's like the difference between like people that live out in rural areas versus people that live in cities. People out in rural areas really enjoy their time and really like see where they are in the universe where people in cities are just, they're blinded by the lights of the city. So they never really get to realize like how big everything is besides the city. Like just, I wish that I lived in one of those areas just because it's so hard to see anything when you live near a city. I'm a couple of miles out of Detroit and it's like, you maybe see a couple scattered stars here and there. You never really get the full view of the sky. Like, right. Yeah, we, we do a lot of camping. We let us spend a lot of time outdoors in the, in the woods. And, you know, Colorado is probably one of our favorite, favorite places to go. And, you know, you can just lay out under the stars and just it's amazing what's out there. And, and it's that sense of wonder for me uh, that really kind of drives all the stories. And I you know, wonder what's out there. Are we alone in the universe? Um, my tagline for the alien accord is, are we alone? Are you sure you want to know? <laughs> Very true. And uh, you also did make reference to a few uh, different astronauts telling some local stories about things they'd seen. What, what are some of those stories? I'd love to hear them. Um, you know, I, I can't think of anything just right off the top of my head, but I know that there have been a number of cases where there have been some some pretty credible sightings by people in the know who are trained to be, you know, observers. They're pilots, they're scientists, they're um, people with PhDs who, who know what they're looking at in most cases. And if they can't explain it, what is it? Mm-hmm. That's what we want to know. And then uh, also, I'm assuming that this part kind of connects in with more of your book as far as like history goes. Uh, there's always the old references in history about, I mean, even Sasquatch lore, a lot of UFO stuff. Um, is that kind of where you started kind of including that in your book? Or was it just like a, like a fascination with like ancient civilizations in general? Right. I, I, again, I love any kind of history. I'm particularly interested in the Sumerian legends. Mm. That's where, you know, the, the ancient gods, the ancient alien theory kind of starts. You get it with the Mayans, uh, the Jaguar queen and the Mayan apocalypse gets into the, to the, you know, the apocalyptic myths and uh, the ancient aliens kind of gets into some of that. Um, you know, if you look at our history and the things that are written and the things that are painted and the things that are scribed into stone, it doesn't look like somebody's imagination. It looks like something somebody has seen. They don't write it or draw it if they didn't see it. There's something that sparks that creativity and that imagination. And if you look at the Egyptian god Horus, is that a man with a bird's head or is that an alien? You know, we kind of talk about this sort of thing on the show all the time. And, you know, I've kind of said before, you know, people will save these old ancient legends and tales. Oh, well, they're just stories. But the amount of effort that these people took to record these stories, like they wouldn't have given that much effort to recording bedtime stories, in my opinion. Right. I think these people recorded what they saw with 
the best language they had. And, you know, this is the drum we beat all the time on the show is these issues of language. And these people were describing real world things. And yeah, it sounds ridiculous to say, you know, flying chariots or whatever, but that's the best way they had to describe these crafts or beings or whatever they were seeing. So now I think you're totally spot on and you know it's right in line with what we talk about on the show all the time right. so the listeners are tired of hearing us talk about it <laughs> i mean there's just so many of us that are talking about it that we, you know i just i'm i'm always asking questions it's like why who how i mean that's what a good investigator does and that's where i'm trained as, as an investigator so i'm always asking those questions and and if i'm seeing the same story in history repeating itself that's not just a coincidence. That's a trend. And we look at trends really heavily in statistics and some of the probability science that we do. So when I hear the, the tale of Gilgamesh and I hear the stories of the flood repeated over and over and over again in different cultures at different times, that tells me at some point there probably was some kind of a flood. Now, whether it was a global flood or a regional flood, who knows? Um, but they're starting to find some evidence in the geologic record. You know, you look for those confirming cues. You want the initial, you know, here's the story. Here's the proof. You've got to put those two together and you've got to back that up with some science. So I do a lot of supposing, but I always try to use science in my stories. Kind of piggybacking off what you just said. I think it's really interesting to look at like creation myths from all these Mm -hmm. different you know, far-flung societies and cultures around the world, if you take out the details and just look at kind of the rough outline, it's all the same thing. There's a heavenly, uh, otherworldly presence that mixes something with some earthly present, you know, dirt or clay or whatever vessel they want to use in the story. But it's the exact same thing no matter what culture in what part of the world you're talking about. It's very true. Very true. And I mean, just to throw in another interesting thing, and a lot of the uh, listeners may have seen it if they follow the Instagram and stuff, but I recently went to the Detroit Institute of Arts and they have a section where it's all like old Egyptian stuff. And I specifically took a picture of this one thing that I saw on the wall and it looked exactly like a UFO. But the best part about the picture was that it could have maybe been looked at like an eye, but right next to it, they drew an eye. So it's clearly not an eye because an eye looks like this. And the other one is this weird slendered object with like a little dome on the top of it. So it's like, it's all, it's in all the museums and people are just looking right over it. And even connecting into the Sumerian stuff, you said, I went, they have some of the, uh, some of the Sumerian stuff there too. And they have the, uh, the depictions of the Anunnaki with the uh, bird head holding the little satchel and they call it something like protection God on the wall. And I'm like, that's not a protection God. That's an Anunnaki. Like just call it for what it is, man. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, you had the, you had Anu, which was the high god, and that's the symbol that's on the front of um, the alien accord. That's that's what that symbol is. It's the, the representation of Anu in Sumerian. But then you had his sons, who were Enlil and Enki, and they were brothers. So it's there's some similarities between or correlation that you could draw between Jesus and Lucifer. You know, one was the fallen angel, one was the son of of God. Um, and it's interesting, the dynamic between the brothers and, and the war that is raging between the two of them. And that's where a lot of my story gets its drive is because these gods are still warring in the heavens and it's coming to Earth. 
Have you uh, gotten a chance to go and check out any of these uh, ancient sites? Because I'm always fascinated by what people actually see there versus like the stuff you see online, because it'll just be like not good size comparison. And then people will, like actually see these rocks in person and go, no, like you don't understand how huge these things are. Like w which locations right. have you gotten to check out besides uh, the Bermuda Triangle? So far, the most exciting place that I got to go was Chichen Itza. Ooh. And I actually went on a writer's cruise when I was trying to sell my my book series. I, I was looking for a publisher and I, I actually wrote the first book in 2009. And this was in 2020, February of 2020. So do the math there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we're on this cruise and, and I'm, I'm with the publisher. We go on an excursion to Chichen Itza. And I had already written book two, which is primarily set at at the temple of, of Chichen Itza at the temple of Kukla Khan specifically. And so we got to go to that site and I was just absolutely blown away. One at how big it is, just like you said, it's huge. You just don't understand how big those places are until you stand there and realize how small you are um, and how old it is. That just blew me away. But the, the, the Maya still live in these areas and they are, they're not a wealthy um culture they survive off the tourists and i never anticipated the number of jaguar t-shirts obsidian glass circles <laughs> uh the things that they sell at those places you know all made in china <laughs> <laughs> because that's how they make their living and they they survive off the tourists and i think i had not anticipated that i hadn't written it in the book and of course i had to go back in and correct that um, but just the, the grass being worn away by people's footsteps. That's how many people come to that site every year that the grass can't grow. And I was now, there in February. So is, just is amazing. That the one, is that the one that you have to fly in by helicopter? Mm -mm. No, you can, you can take a bus and go in. Okay. Cause I think I may have been there. Um, mm -hmm. I've been to Tulum a couple of times. Right. And yeah, just talking about how, just how, little you feel looking mm -hmm. at this thing that these people built. It's right. just crazy. Well, supposedly. Well, supposedly. Yeah. It was the giants because that would make more sense with these giant exactly. buildings. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And, and to me, the most fascinating thing is those ancient cultures built those immaculate giant buildings out of giant heavy stones with such precision. They are perfectly aligned north, south, east, west, the cardinal directions. They're built over a... Uh, Cenote. So they had to have a bigger support system and there's pyramids inside of the Bain pyramid. Mm -hmm. There's actually two more pyramids inside and they didn't find those. They didn't find Chichen Itza until like the forties and it was completely covered over with jungle and they cleared the jungle and cleared the whole entire site. And it was all built with such precision, just completely boggles the mind. I mean, I like to throw this in because I find the whole ancient apocalypse idea to be absolutely fascinating. Uh, Graham Hancock did a documentary on all of this stuff. And basically what he was saying was that he believes that there was some type of like great impact. And people ask like where the location would be. And he was saying that it would be the Scablands. And that would explain why the terrain is so destroyed and beat up and all that. But I mean, if you're thinking about the fact that there was this giant flood and everything rushed in, it would totally make sense why all of these places got completely covered up by everything, even just like water running through a region. And then all the the plants growing back up through that it completely like brings it 
brings it into like consideration of like how that kind of stuff happens. And then even just uh, with them perfectly aligning with stars, I mean, what his theory on it was, was that the reason that they did that was because he believes that there's a certain time when the earth is going to end up going through an asteroid belt and they are fully aware that it's going to end up happening around this certain time. So they intended on keeping a look on the stars so that they know when this event was going to come so that they could prepare for it. And some of these locations, you'll see where they'll build things multiple times and keep kind of tweaking them and turning them. And he believes that the reason for that, again, was that they were trying to perfectly keep eyes on these stars in different locations that they knew when the next big event was going to happen. It wasn't any type of weird spiritual stuff, according to him. He thinks it was strictly just a matter of survival and keeping an eye on the skies. Right. The the Pleiades are the ones that, that fascinate me the most because the the temple or the pyramids at Giza align with the Pleiades. There's all kinds of legends about that. The Cherokee have legends about the seven sisters or the Pleiades. The the uh, there's African cultures that have legends about the Pleiades. The Greeks had legends about the Pleiades. So again, when it happens once, it may you know once or twice it may be coincidence, but when it happens over and over again, that's a trend and I think that's where we need to pay attention. I mean, just another weird one to throw in about the pyramids since you brought it up, too. Um, obviously, there's the obelisks all over Egypt. And I've even heard a few different theories that say basically that we still don't know where the bottoms of the pyramids are. They go way below where the surface is. So there's a lot of researchers that honestly believe that the pyramids are actually the tops of giant obelisks. And if that's the case, again, it brings in that whole giant lore back. And the fact that in Egypt, there's also that uh, brain fart in the name of the building, but it has the giant uh, 12 foot sarcophagus that doesn't, there's no way that anybody would have been able to even move the pieces that they're, because they're so big and heavy and the doorway is so ridiculously big. Like it doesn't make sense in size comparison to what we know of as people. But again, if the, if the pyramids are literally just the top of a giant obelisk, that might give a comparison of how tall these things are because obelisks are supposed to tower over us. So imagine how big those would be in comparison to the people if we just took our height compared to the obelisks we know of and then take those as an obelisk and compare that with, with what a giant's height could possibly be. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Sphinx, we just now got to, you know, the feet not that long ago. So that, that was completely buried in the sand. And there's evidence of actually water erosion. So, you know, it may be a desert now, but it wasn't always. Um, the other thing that I find really interesting is the, the concept of cultures being built on top of cultures, on top of cultures, on top of cultures. And I think that there are probably cultures that we have not even found yet because we've only scratched the surface of the earth. I mean, all the time they're finding new, new civilizations, new cities. Um, I think there's a lot left out there to still be explored. Even in Egypt, they say that if everything was green, there could be cities that are hidden underneath that sand that we have no idea about. We were watching something the other day. I can't remember what it was, but they were talking about how, yeah, like a uh, a chamber of records or hall of records or something. Uh, I believe it was the Edgar Casey Ancient Aliens episode. It's under the left yeah. foot, and the Egyptian government still won't even let Egyptian researchers go in there. And I think that the reason for that is that they know it's one of these three halls of records that the Egyptian priests would talk about, and if the wrong people go in there and find basically the history of the entire planet, like imagine how that could change everybody's perception of reality. So I legitimately think the reason why the government in Egypt will let anybody go in anywhere and take anything, but they have this weird thing about that cavern and they know it's there. And there's been a bunch of researchers who have done like sonar reviews and realize like yeah. how deep that goes. And they still yes, yes, will not yes. let anybody in that thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. right. <clears throat> you know, the library of Alexandria 
um, was burned. There's still some supposition about who did it. There's different theories on who burned the library. But the question I have is why did they burn the library? I kind of wonder and, if they took some of those yeah. books and actually have them in the Vatican and it was never actually, the books weren't destroyed, just the building was. Right. And a lot of, a lot of people think that there was only really one library, but there was a whole system of libraries. And just like we have our public libraries today, they had their ancient libraries back then. And what are they trying to, what are they trying to destroy? They're trying to destroy history. What are we doing now with books? Destroying history. <laughs> Exactly. The prophet rage against the machine. They've got the the line in one of their songs. You don't got to burn the books. You just remove them. So I mean, that's exactly. basically what you're saying, Shay. Like they're probably in the Vatican right now because yeah. they're still important yeah, to maintain. Open everything else. Right. It, it's I'm just not a huge uh, conspiracy theorist, but when they start coming for my books, I'm going to have a problem with that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's not even necessarily conspiracy. Like, we know that they do this kind of stuff. I mean, even just, like, the simplest terms, the most recent case of this is ISIS was going around and destroying all of these ancient artifacts because it didn't fit their views. And, I mean, there's a lot of conspiracies on ISIS to begin with, but I'm not going to get into that right now. But just, again, like, right in front of the forefront, it doesn't matter who ISIS was or who they may have been working for or if they're working for themselves. There was still a group destroying history right in front of everybody's eyes. So it's like... Through history, we've seen this happen. We've seen people that have pillaged. We've seen people that have destroyed full communities. Like, imagine how much gets destroyed and how much gets grasped just off of, like, what they want to be in the mainstream versus, like, what actually should be. And just even just tweaking stories a little bit. Like, you'll read a story, for example, but you don't want people to read the story. So you give them your spun version of that story. So it's still maintaining in history, but it's not exactly how it was done. It's fitting the view that you want it to fit. It's your story with your opinion woven into it. Yep. His, his story, history. Yep. Everybody exactly. says that, but it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. So um, I definitely want to get into, just because, again, we are Bizarre Encounters and we love to get into mm -hmm. some Bizarre Encounters, for example. Right. Um, I'd love to get into some of your paranormal investigating, but the best place to start with that would be what sparked your interest in the paranormal and uh, what made it so that you took the step that you actually wanted to start investigating it yourself? Right. So, uh, you know, I think like a lot of us, I grew up in the in the 70s and 80s when there were places like Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum mm -hmm. or TV shows of that kind. Uh, I grew up watching In Search Of, narrated by Leonard Nimoy. Of course, I was a big Star Trek fan as well. So that was a bonus. Um, and I just really thought there's so much in our world that we can't explain that I would love to be able to know more. I, I want to understand the world that we live in. So I've always kind of been interested with being a history buff and a genealogist. You know, ghost is definitely a place that you kind of gravitate to when you're, when you're into that kind of thing. Um, you know, the history of buildings and, and the tragedies that people have suffered in some are usually what draw me to them. I've been to, like I said, a number of haunted hotels or, you know, so-called haunted hotels. Some of them I could debunk and some of them I couldn't. Uh, some of them I didn't have any kind of experience in at all. So I was really interested in that. Um, what really kind of started it for me, the first place I ever got to go to a ghost hunt uh, was out here at historic Fort Reno in Oklahoma. And it's an old Indian fort built before the statehood. And there are a couple of buildings that were built in the 1800s and they were having some really interesting paranormal activity out there. So they started hosting uh, paranormal groups to come out. They'd invite the public to kind of come and follow along and you could go learn the history. Uh, it was a teaching moment for them to talk about, you know, how, how 
they played a role in our state's history, uh, how it was still relevant today. Um, so I started going out there with that group. And probably about six years ago, I had gone out and we had done it so many times that they kind of let us be volunteers and kind of keep people together and just kind of participate from, you know, both sides of the, of the game. We were with the paranormal groups. We were with the historic site. We'd done some research for them, some history research. Um, so before the event, I would go around and I would take pictures in all the windows because at that time you could no longer go into the buildings because they weren't safe asbestos and construction issues and you know they're, they're old buildings might fall through the floor so, if you step in the wrong spot <laughs> exactly exactly and they didn't want the liability let's let's go where that you know but that's the real issue there um but i had gone through and i had taken pictures in all the windows so i had my baseline done and we had had some really interesting things happen at one of the buildings called the old victorian there was a, a house that was built for the officer's wife and my mother had been walking around it one day and the third floor window just fell out and landed inches from her feet, Ooh. just barely missed her. <laughs> so we have, we have a history with this building. So, you know, she's doing something and I'm going to go do my baseline. I got all my pictures. You know, I, I know what the building looked like in the daylight. At night we start going around to the buildings and we're walking with the volunteers and I've got my cell phone camera that I'm taking pictures with. And I've got it on, I got it set on video and I'm walking around and I come around the corner and I see this face move into the window. You can make out the eye sockets, the outline of his beard, where his mouth would be, his nose in shadow and the hand up at the window. Like, what are y'all doing out here? And I got pictures of it. Ooh, you'll have to send us those pictures. I'd love to see it. I've got them up on my Instagram account. I'll send them to you. Uh, very creepy. Um, very interesting. Couldn't explain it. I, you know, I went back and looked at the daytime pictures. That window is not dirty. There's nothing there in the daylight. Uh, it does have some rippling to it because it's old glass. It's not modern tooled sheet glass. It's, it's older. So it kind of has a little bubbling in it, but <clears throat> that image was not there. So, you know, that's one of those is like, that's really kind of what that did it for me. I'm in. Uh, I uh, worked on OSHA's national disaster response team at Hurricane Katrina down in New Orleans after the storms came through. Our team was one of the first ones to actually go into New Orleans after it had been cleared of all the water. Holy the crap. The engineer's term of that is dewatered. <laughs> <laughs> Fancy term. So my first assignment was to go through Charity Hospital with an industrial hygienist from Milwaukee uh, that I worked with. And we had to go through the entire Charity Hospital to do a safety and health assessment, determine what hazards were present and what kind of uh, protective equipment anybody going in to do cleanup would have to have. And we were just there to identify all the hazards. And it's one of the largest public hospitals in North America. The original building was built in 1736 and it's just grown and grown and grown. And it's right down the street from the Superdome. So it saw all the violence. It had evacuated as many patients as it could and as many staff as it could before the storm, but there were patients too sick to move. And those are the ones that they were manually having to keep alive uh, because they'd lost power. They'd lost their generator. The whole basement had flooded. The morgue had flooded. They didn't have anywhere to put the bodies, so they just put them in the stairwells. Mm. And they were in there for 10 days before they were able to get out with no plumbing, no heat, no, or, well, no air conditioning because it was 107 degrees when I was down. Whew. 
humidity like nobody's business. We had a 15, 45 minute work rest rotation. So we could work for 15 minutes and then we had to rest for 45. Wow. Not easy when you're on the 27th floor of the largest public hospital in North America and you've walked up there by stair. Yeah. And you got to walk back out as soon as you pretty much get up there. (laughs) Yeah. In full PPE, we're in, you know, Tyvek suits, steel toed boots, respirators, gloves, everything. So we would go up, sit down and rest a few minutes, you know, get our rest rotation in and then go up a few more floors and sit down and have our rest rotation with as much, you know, cool air as we could get. And some of the windows had been knocked out. So occasionally you'd find a floor that had a breeze, which was kind of nice, but the, the hazards there would make anybody's hair curl. But as a safety professional, I have nightmares about the hazards we saw in that place. It was, it was horrible. Um, there were elevator shafts that were unguarded that if you couldn't see in the dark, you would not know we're there. Um, so we had to really watch each other's back and there would be times she's in front of me and I would see something move behind me. <laughs> what, 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 did you hear that? What was that? You know, we, we caught ourselves asking each other that a lot. She's like, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. Um, we went into the basement. We did a lot of inspections in that part of the building. I mean, we covered the whole building. Um, that was probably one of the creepiest places I've ever been. Um, there's a couple of buildings here in Oklahoma that, that they've torn down since I inspected them. Cause I was an asbestos inspector for a while, uh, that, that made my hair curl and that's hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> my hair's going straight, so it's hard to make my hair curl, but, but it was, it was partially being a building inspector gave me an opportunity to get into some of these buildings that the public couldn't get into and to have experiences that the public would never be able to have. Um, and that just kind of fueled my desire to get out and do more kind of investigating. Um, not too long ago, my husband and I got to go back to the Pacific Northwest. We went up to Mount St. Helens, which is where the Veritas Codex is set, and uh, got to actually go do some investigating, do a little Bigfoot hunting. Did you see um, any uh, bat, squ- bat squatches? <laughs> we did not. But the funny thing is, about three days after we were there, somebody was hiking the same trail that we had hiked. And found footprints. Ooh, like missed it by three days. Did they say how big they were? For by example, I always love hearing like the size of them. Like eighteen inches. Oh, those are some, to eighteen inches. Big. Some big, good ones. <laughs> yeah, and and very clearly distinct toes with the dermal ridges. Yeah, pretty interesting. I saw some pictures. Oh yeah, we'd love to see them. I'm sure some of the listeners would love to see if them too. If I can find them, I'll see if I can find them. I, I just found them on the media because they they'd taken pictures and put them out in the news. So. So, um, when you go and do these, uh, when you go and do the health inspections on buildings and then you kind of get to do a little bit of an investigation, uh, how do you do that exactly? Do you, um, like re- request permission, like from the people that are doing the building and then you come back later at mm-hmm. night or like, how do, how do you go about doing that and being able to connect with these places? It's just, just through the course of my work while I'm there doing my inspection, if there's something going on, I just try to make, you know, make an observation about it. Um, I don't use any special equipment other than something I would normally use for a safety inspection. One of the pieces of equipment that we use is a touchless AC voltage detector. And it's basically used to determine if a piece of equipment is grounded and you don't touch the equipment. That's the most important thing. You you can pick up that electromagnetic field off of it without touching it. And so if I have that in my back pocket and it starts going off, I'm either too close to a piece of equipment that's not grounded or there's something else going on. Two birds, one stone. That happened. Exactly. I've had that happen. Um, I did inspections in the old Skirvin Hotel here in Oklahoma City when they were renovating it, and it's got some ghost stories attached to it. 
And I would get stories from the contractors that were doing the work that they would um, have the water turned on when there's no possible way anybody could get to the sink because they had it sealed off. Uh, they had power tools that would get turned on that were not plugged in. <laughs> so that means there's something strong enough there that's able to put out that strong of an energetic field. Cause I mean, normally like a typical ghost, they can, they can move stuff here and there. They can do like little stuff, but that takes something that's relatively strong to be able to do stuff like that. And I know everybody likes right. to throw in like, Oh, it's a demon. But I think it's one of those things that when a ghost has been around for so long, they get like a feel for like how they can function in reality, I guess you could say. So they become stronger by figuring out how to use their abilities properly. So I think that when you have experiences like that, rather than like the demon, like everybody says it is, I think it's just older ghosts. Right. They, they can draw energy and they can expend energy because it's, it's a give and take system. No matter what kind of machine you're looking at, there's some energy in energy out. It's just how machines work. And I think, I think it's similar in that concept with they can take energy from a piece of equipment and put it into something else, whether it's pushing somebody, touching somebody, making a machine light up, uh, making a voice come through or a stick figure come through on the screen. I think that's just energy in, energy out. So a uh, side question off of that too. Um, when you do investigations, uh, do you only like do them when you get to do these specific like locations or do you actually like go out sometimes and actually uh, use like act like ghost hunting equipment or do you just kind of run off of like feeling and more so just experiencing the place as it is? Well, when I'm on vacation and I'm going somewhere new and different, I will always try to find some place that has a history, a of story, course. <laughs> unusual things to happen, you know, different hotels that we've stayed at, different places we go to. And when I'm there, I'm typically there as a tourist. I'm doing the, you know, the, the penny tour for whatever the case may be. But I'm, I'm always doing that observation. I'm always looking for those cues and clues, looking for how I feel, what I see. I may not have any equipment. And I believe the best equipment we have is our own senses. Um, those other things can be distractors. If you're, really, if you're really paying attention, you should be able to find things. The problem then is how do you document it? And there are things I've seen and heard that I can't document. And I've got documentation I can't explain. So, you know, it's one of those, it's like, I'm always, I'm always trying to be aware no matter where I'm at. And I'm always trying to find the history of places and listening to the stories of the people. And I'll ask locals, you know, you know, what, what's your favorite ghost story from this area? Or do you have any really cool, creepy spots we can go look at? Um, you know, do you have any haunted tours or anything like that? I had no idea how much Galveston had till we went down there not too long ago. And there's all kinds of haunted tours in Galveston because of the hurricanes they've had come through there. So I'm just, I'm, I consider myself one of those um, paranormal tourists. <laughs> I'm just here for the booze. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're getting ready to go to New Orleans. I've been to New Orleans a number of times and I'm, we're getting, getting ready to go back the week before Halloween. We'll be there for uh, a safety conference, but uh, you know, I probably have a couple of days to go do a little paranormal investigation while we're down there. That's really cool. So, I mean, I think, you know, we're not ghost hunters or experts by any means, but I think we kind of agree with you as far as like some of these ghost hunting tools almost seem like they're a hindrance more mm -hmm. than a help. And it seems like people almost use them as a crutch in yes. some of these situations. And I don't know, like kind of the joke I always tell with like spirit boxes mm -hmm. or whatever. Is, I mean, I'm not going to say there's not something to it, but... You know, it's kind of like when people were talking about, like, 
Led Zeppelin albums in the 70s or what? If you listen to it backwards, you hear the devil speak. It's like, well, if mm-hmm. somebody didn't tell you that, you'd never be, oh, that's the devil. It just sounds yeah. like Led Zeppelin backwards, you know? So, right. Who had the bright idea to play it backwards anyway? Yeah. But, <laughs> no, I think that's really interesting because uh, I, I think we have a little bit of a conflicted relationship with ghost hunting devices and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So. I mean, just technology in general. How, how much time do we spend on our phones every day not paying attention to our kids or our husband or, you know, the pets or whatever? So, I mean, I just I really just try to, to turn off, you know, I might have my camera, I might have my voice recorder on my, on my cell phone out. Um, I've gotten some interesting recordings that, you know, I still can't explain them. I'm still not sure. It's just if I'm hearing what I think I'm hearing or what I want to be hearing. So, you know, it's just one of those things that's, you, you just really have to take anything you find as evidence, as far as, you know, that kind of thing goes with a grain of salt. Absolutely. You're there to collect the data. And then once you have that data collected, then you're there to make a theory about what it is. So that's kind of what we say on the show too. Like, take everything with a grain of salt, what we're saying, what anybody else is saying and kind of make your own opinions. And, you know, I don't think we're ever going to find definitive answers to a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. I think that's okay. You know, I think it's a lot of time. It's a lot of fun trying. Yeah. It's more about the journey than the destination, I think. Right. It's, it's in asking those questions that we gain more knowledge. And I mean, for me, that's the goal is I just want to learn something every day, something I didn't know. Um, And, you know, Sometimes I think I learned one thing when I actually just learned that that may not be what I learned. <laughs> hey, that's what we say all the time. The the more you know, it seems like the less you know. But uh, exactly. So kind of wrapping up here a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. Betsy. Would you mind telling us uh, where people can reach out to you and maybe find your books and uh, sure. if they want to contact you if uh, you're willing yeah. to share that information? Absolutely. Uh, I have a website. It's www.authorbetsykulikowski.com. And that is not easy to spell. It's the (laughs) Betsy most people mess up. Um, So I hope you'll put that in the show notes. I'll make sure you get the right link to that. So that's my website. Um, My email address is on there. I've got a contact form. Um, Anybody wants to reach out to me, I've got a blog, you know, love for people to read the blog. I've got some pictures, some some of my travels. The, The ghost picture from Fort Reno is up there. Uh, I'm also on Instagram. I probably spend a majority of my social media energies with Instagram. It's where I've made the best connections with both the paranormal community and with readers and other authors. Um, I've made some really good friends from Instagram, people I've actually met in person. Um, I think you, know, you met me off Instagram too. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, Instagram is kind of my jam. I'm also on uh it's not Twitter anymore. I'm on X, I'm on Threads, I'm on uh Facebook. Um I have a TikTok channel at author Betsy K is my handle for uh, TikTok and for Instagram. That's spell. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's the Betsy that messes people up because there's a bonus E in there. Um, but then all my books can be found wherever books are sold. I'm on Amazon, Walmart.com, Target.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, if you're in the Oklahoma City area, I'm in all the local bookstores as far as like the independent bookstores that I've been able to find. Um, Full Circle Bookstore is kind of my home bookstore. I spend a lot of time in there actually writing because they have a great little coffee shop, great vibe in there. Um, and I have autographed copies on uh, on the shelves in those bookstores. Uh, Deer Clan Books in Bethany. Um, but any really Amazon's probably where most people will go and buy their books. And that's uh, that's where you can get them in either ebook. Uh, the first three books are out in audio. 
I have to make a decision pretty soon about what we're going to do for uh, audiobooks. I've been asked if I wanted to do them with AI. I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> I'm kind of yeah. torn on that. I have to decide, do I want an audiobook done by AI or no audiobook at all? And I'm a huge audiobook consumer, but I'm really against the whole AI thing. So I'm, I'm very conflicted on that. Um, we may try it just to see if we like it. If it doesn't work out, we may pull it. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, that'll be up for my publisher to decide. So that's where you can find me. Uh, I'm, you know, super friendly. Uh, just don't get creepy on me. I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> I blocked some people before for that. Um, but, you know, I try to I try to be open and available. And if anybody wants to ask questions or, you know, ask me about the books, I'm happy to come on book talks. And um, I've done a couple of book clubs and, you know, doing virtual I had to do virtual book tours because it came, my first book came out in the middle of the pandemic. So happy to do stuff like that. Love doing podcasts. Thank you so much for having me because this is really where I reach people is majority of, of my readers. I find through podcasts. And I guess just as one bonus question, because we were talking about the mm -hmm. books before we end up starting wrapping up here. Um, if you had to say that you had one of your books, that was your absolute favorite, Bria, that it's released or not released yet. Which one is your, your favorite, like your, your pride and joy specifically, even if it's from your series, like oh. do you have a specific one that is like, this is the yeah. one. <laughs> My God, that's like asking me which child I like better. <laughs> that's what I figured it was going to be a hard question. All of them. Yeah. I love all of them for different reasons, but the one for me that has been the most fun and for so many reasons was the pirate's curse. I had so much fun writing that. I love anything to do with pirates, the whole pirates of the Caribbean thing. I love that. I didn't want this to be your typical, you know, swashbuckling pirate of the Caribbean kind of thing, but my high school mascot is the pirate. So, you know, once a pirate, always a pirate. And I had a lot of fun with my dedication in that one. And that one was just, it was a fun book to write. It's deep, it's dark, it's mysterious. The, the, you know, the characters in that one have just really come to life because, you know, I've known these characters now since 2009 and I'm really starting to find my voice as, a, as an author. You know, you, you think you know what you're doing, but the more you learn, the more you think, I really didn't know what I was doing when I started. So um, uh, the Monk's Grimoire, I wrote it in 23 days. So if there was a book that was ever inspired it was that one. And it was a concept that came out of a conversation with my publisher when we were trying to come up with the title for the first book. Cause I had a title that I, you know, had thrown around for years and my publisher's like, no. What's the title? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> I think I called it something like journey to the truth. Uh, but it was, it, it, you know, we worked out the Veritas codex and so he said, wouldn't it be interesting if all the books had codex in it? And I'm like, okay, well, if I'm going to do that, then I have to write one about the devil's codex, <laughs> which is a real book. And so I sat down over a holiday weekend. It was kind of cold and rainy. So I sat out on my back patio with a cup of coffee and a laptop and my iPad, my iPhone, and I'm doing research on different things and just writing. And I write super fast. I write about 145 words a minute when I type. Wow. Um, <laughs> and when the, when the muse moves me, I could easily write 20,000 words in a weekend. Last weekend, I was finishing up another book uh, that's not paranormal um, that I'm excited about, and I'm going to be pitching it in a couple of weeks to some agents. But I wrote 18,000 words last weekend. That's amazing. That's, that's a quarter of a book. <laughs> so, Yeah. I guess I uh, highly recommend anybody go and check out your books because I got I got your first one of the Veridex Codex and it's it's awesome. So anybody that can scoop one, one of your books, I highly recommend doing it and you're you're going to love it. Anybody that goes and checks it out. 
That's awesome. Thank you. And uh, I really appreciate you making the time to come on today. It's always fun getting to talk to you. And I'm looking forward to next time we get to do a show or interact or something, maybe even see each other at a convention one day. Oh, that'd be awesome. Thank you so much. I look forward to it. It was so nice to meet you. Betsy. It was nice to meet you too. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. If you guys enjoyed this episode, and come on, we know you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Don't forget to rate or review the show, or you guys can even share the show through word of mouth, this specific episode, if you think somebody else will really enjoy it. And that's one way to help continue to help the show grow. And uh, you never know what might happen from that. You share it with the right people, you start sharing it with your office, you start sharing it with your friend group, and maybe all your your friends that you didn't think were into these types of topics might start getting into these topics, or maybe you'll start bringing it out in them. And then you might make it so that you have a whole area of people that you can talk about weird phenomenon with. But the only way that's ever going to happen is if you guys share the show, share the episodes, and of course, always rate with good ratings, hopefully, uh, every single podcast that you guys love on iTunes or Spotify. And you guys, we say it every week, you know the drill. Do all the internet things. Reach out to us through social media, through the email, any suggestions for guests or anything like that. And also remember your Bizarre Encounters for Shane's book. And as always, all this shit is listed in the link tree in the show notes. Uh, I've been Shane. I had it expanded that time. I've been Orn. And I've been Chichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichichich